Hello and welcome to Mexico in Focus podcast. My name is Solange Marquez from Framework Consulting. Each week you will hear interviews, opinions and data related to the events and news occurring in Mexico, Canada and the US that might impact the trilateral relationship. Mexico held its first national referendum on August 1st, asking citizens to agree to start a trial against past president's crimes. Just 7% of the electorate participated. The referendum was held less than one month after its midterm elections, where the ruling party got mixed results and a bittersweet feeling for President López Obrador. June 6th election was the most significant election Mexico has held, and sadly, also the deadliest marked by the organized crime gang's violence. However, on the day of the election, almost 53% of the electorate voted in a good managed and peaceful process. I am here today with Macario Schettino, economist and political analyst in Mexico, Macario will help us understand the midterm and referendum elections impact on future public policy, governance, foreign investments and the relationship with our trade allies, Canada and the US for the next three years of President López Obrador. Macario, welcome. Uh, hi, Solange. On the one hand, the National Regeneration Movement, Morena, the party of President López Obrador, did not reach the supermajority of the two-thirds vote needed for constitutional reforms. Nevertheless, Morena won 11 of the local governments that were also at the stage. We can say it was a bittersweet election for López Obrador and the ruling party. On the other hand, the opposition gets better results than in 2018, but many could say it was not enough. What do you think are the takeaways of the midterm elections? I, well, I think that uh, this uh, midterm election uh, was very important because it was a kind of referendum uh, over the um, ruling of uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador. He has been for a bit less than three years in the presidency of Mexico. And uh, I think that Mexicans have now enough information to evaluate if uh, they want uh, López Obrador to keep on doing what he has been doing over these three years. And uh, what uh, we can take away from the election is that uh, many Mexicans changed their minds uh, compared with the 2018 election. In that uh, uh, occasion, three years ago, uh, López Obrador won 53% of the vote. And now his party and his um, coalition uh, didn't get more than 38% of the vote. So I think that uh, this is a very important change. López Obrador lost uh, some part of uh, his political power. Uh, and this uh, can be corroborated with this last uh, voting, this uh, referendum about uh, a very strange question related to uh, crimes of the past. Uh, and what uh, happened is that only 7% of uh, the electorate uh, went to, to, to the polls, as, as you said before. Uh, this is a, a complete failure. And I think that uh, it uh, sums up 
with this uh, loose, losing of uh, political power for Lopez Obrador, uh, he uh, is not able to do uh, in the future what he has been doing uh, over the last three years. I think that uh, he is going to have a, a lot of trouble uh, pushing his uh, ideas about a closed economy, uh, a concentrated economy in the government. So I think those are good news for the rest of the Mexicans. That's very interesting. After the election, we have seen essential cabinet changes. What does it mean? Do you see any changes in the economic policy, taxes, or maybe regulatory decisions shortly? I don't think so. I, I think that uh, Lopes Obrador is uh, uh, a very stubborn politician. He has uh, uh, very few ideas, but uh, very strong ideas. So he is going to uh, continue doing the same. Uh, he is going to have less support from uh, the political parties, from uh, the public in general, uh, on this on these ideas. But he is not going to change his mind. That that's uh, against his nature. Yes, but however, we have seen a lot of important changes. President López Obrador named a new Minister of Finance that seems to have a different view about the economy than his predecessor. What do you think about him? I think that uh, Rogelio Ramírez de la O, the new uh, Treasury Secretary, Secretario de Hacienda, uh, has uh, uh, a big difference with the last uh, one, the last secretary. Uh, Rogelio has uh, some influence over uh, López Obrador. Uh, the previous secretary, uh, Arturo Herrera, uh, didn't have any uh, possibility of changing López Obrador's mind. Uh, but uh, Rogelio may have some influence over, over López Obrador. However, I don't think that uh, that will be enough because, as I said before, López Obrador is a very stubborn uh, politician. I worked with him uh, 25 years ago uh, for a couple of years, and I, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, I think that uh, he is not a very... Uh, intelligent man. Uh, besides uh, power and politics, uh, I don't think that he understands what happens in, in the world. So it's very difficult to convince him, uh, for example, about the energy transition that the world is living now. It's very difficult to explain to him about uh, the subtleties of uh, economics. So it's going to be a, a difficult time for Rogelio Ramirez de Leo. Uh, President López Obrador has attempted several times against autonomous institutions. Uh, the best example is the National Electoral Institute and the Central Bank or some others that are no longer autonomous, like the Regulatory Energy Commission. So what do you think? Do you see more threats against autonomy and how might that impact the confidence needed to attract investment in Mexico? Well, I, I think that uh, it's a, a very big threat. Uh, to, to investment because uh, without autonomous agencies uh, it's very difficult to make uh, long-term investments with success. Uh, that's the way that Mexico uh, functioned uh, back in the 20th century where every decision at the end uh, relied on the, the president. Uh, so you had to negotiate with him if you wanted to invest in Mexico. That's the reason that we 
didn't for we didn't have any investment important investments in Mexico before uh, 1989. So uh, the the big change came in the 90s and and over this century when we started to have these autonomous agencies that made investment uh, a little more reliable in in, in Mexico. Uh, this has changed with Lopez Obrador. He has destroyed many of these autonomous agencies. Uh, I think that uh, he's going to try with the Instituto Nacional Electoral, the uh, electoral uh, agency. Uh, he has the possibility of changing some of the uh, management of this institution because it's it's in law that that's going to happen in the following months uh he is uh, also nominated arturo herrera the former secretary of hacienda uh, to run the banco de mexico uh so those decisions can be done without uh changing the law without affecting anyone and and can uh, have an uh, impact on the uh, possibility of these uh, autonomous agencies to keep on working uh, well. Uh, however, I don't think that he has now the power that he had uh, a couple of years ago when he could uh, really uh, 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 work over these autonomous agencies and destroy them. He cannot do that today. So that's an important change from from the past yeah i agree with you as we say before president lopez obrador political party does not have the super majority needed to perform constitutional reforms alone and we have to underline too that the green party which was part of the coalition during the midterms and will supposed to be his new ally in congress is not as loyal as those parties that formed his political alliance in 2018. Uh, talking about arturo herrera Knowing how close is to the president, what is going to happen with the autonomy and the decisions of the central bank when he takes the position? Well, the the most obvious part is that we are going to have uh, three dobes and two hawks over the the. Uh, open market committee uh, this is going to be very important because uh, we're in in a moment where inflation is uh, growing so we need uh, this tapering that uh, has started here in Mexico uh, before the US or other other uh, central banks in the world but uh, after uh, December, when Arturo Herrera takes uh, the direction of uh, the Banco de Mexico, uh, this is going to change. We are going to have uh, less uh, interest from this uh, open market committee to keep on uh, uh, increasing the interest rate. And that may be uh, relevant for inflation over the following uh, years. So that's the most important thing that I think is obvious. Uh, the second part, which is not Uh, so obvious is what's going to happen at the interior of uh, the Banco de Mexico because Arturo Herrera hasn't uh, worked in the Banco de Mexico ever and this is a big difference with all the other uh, governors that the Banco de Mexico has had uh, in the past uh, every one of them has experience inside uh, the the Bolton nuts of the Banco de Mexico. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, Arturo Herrera really understands what this institution uh, uh, represents. And that will be a, a huge change and uh, also a, a huge challenge uh, for, the, for the central bank. 
will we will see and if you allow me i will ask you later on in the in this year about uh, what uh, what might be uh, the central bank uh, scenario for the future but uh, talking about the regulatory energy commission the cre that what might be the future of the electric power industry and especially to the renewable energy sector uh well uh, i think that all the efforts that the mexican government has uh, done uh, to destroy the energy sector uh, have not been successful up until now uh, they have been uh, using all kind of uh, instruments uh, the presidential executive order then a change in the law they are talking about changing constitution but none of them have uh, really uh, had success because uh, we still have some judges that uh, really understand the law and we still have some autonomy uh, in the suprema corte in the supreme court uh, of mexico uh, so i think that uh, uh, there's the possibility uh, that we uh, attest another failure in the efforts of uh, Lopez Obrador uh, in changing uh, the the direction of Mexico, specifically in this in this uh, uh, area of uh, electric energy. I think that uh, he is going to try to destroy uh, the the private investment in Mexico in this area, uh, but I think he's going to fail. And the reason has to do with this uh, Suprema Corte, with the specialized uh, judges that exist in Mexico, and uh, very important also with the market and public opinion, which uh, it's, it's growing uh, against uh, Lopez Obrador uh, a lot over the over the last uh, months uh, because of a combination of uh, failures in his uh, public policies, the increase in inflation, and uh, the protracted uh, uh, punch of uh, the pandemics. As I, I, I thought the last year, pandemics were, were a, a very important uh, phenomena in the world. In the case of Mexico, the effect over the economy uh, is its feeling in the in the households right now. People are uh, uh, supportive over the last year. All their expenditures using their savings. Now the savings are gone, and uh, people are uh, 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 people are feeling now uh, the, the the real pain of uh, the economic problems of last year. So I think that Lopez Obrador is losing this. Uh, a fight uh, uh, with the public opinion also. Uh, so uh, although I think that uh, he's going to uh, keep on trying to uh, wrestle against uh, private investment in uh, electricity and, and the energy sector in general, I think he's going to lose. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. And I think, yeah, we have to, to trust in the in the institutions, especially in the Supreme Court. So you were talking about the, the economic impact of COVID. Uh, how do you see the economic market reaction after the midterm election and also related to how the pandemic have been managed uh, from the for, uh, by the Mexican government? Uh, well, uh, the management of uh, the COVID pandemics in Mexico uh, is uh, without doubt one of the worst in the world. Uh, 
if you see the combination of the economic impact uh, and the number of debts, uh, excess debts, because uh, Mexican government didn't count uh, correctly the COVID debts uh, since the beginning. If you see the combination of those impacts, I think we are one of the worst uh, in the world, worst countries in the world in the in terms of uh, this uh, pandemic's management. We also didn't have any economic relief measure over the 2020 or this year also. Uh, so uh, as I said before, uh, households uh, managed through the problems by using their savings. And the problem is that the savings are gone. And uh, we have now uh, this third wave of uh, uh, COVID, specifically the Delta variant, uh, which uh, is, is, is very uh, strong in the case of Mexico. And uh, people started to uh, get back to their, to their houses in, 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 in these last weeks. Uh, we've seen that over July, we have a, a big a decrease in consumption in Mexico. Uh, that's going to reflect on a, a less uh, strong economy. And uh, that's why I, th I think that uh, people are not very happy with uh, Lopez Obrador in the presidency. Uh, after three years, it's very difficult to, to keep on uh, using excuses. Lopez Obrador does not have a good relationship with Joe Biden. What economic impact uh, do you see that bad relation might have for Mexico? Well, up until now, we, we still rely on USMCA, uh, the, the, what before was called the, the NAFTA agreement. Uh, I think that uh, we are having... Uh, uh, good results in terms of uh, Mexican exports to the U.S., uh, but uh, more than that, it's very difficult to to expect because uh, any improvements over the Mexican-U.S. Uh, relationship uh, should go through the presidents. And as you said, Lopez Obrador and Biden does, don't don't have a, a good relation. Uh, so I don't expect uh, any uh, improve uh, over the relationship. Uh, business as usual, let's say. Uh, and uh, this is not enough to uh, make a, a great recovery in the case of Mexico. I thought the, the U.S. is now at the level, economic level that they had before uh, COVID. Uh, Mexico uh, is still uh, 3 4% below that. And uh, I don't see that uh, the U.S. is going to be the the savior of the Mexican economy uh, without an improvement of the relationship. And as you said, that's not going to happen. Unfortunately, I, I think that, that that our conversation is not really positive. So, what what positive things do you see in the in the future? Can you foresee something good to happen in the Mexican economy? I think that uh, if you want a positive view in the, in the Mexican economy, you have to have a long-run uh, uh, perspective. Uh, I don't expect any uh, real improvement or over the next uh, three years. I would expect that uh, things get better uh, in the next administration. Uh, that will happen after 2024. Uh, before that, I don't think that uh, 
things are going to 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 uh, improve a lot. Uh, it may happen in some sectors. It may happen in some. Uh, for some products or services, but in general, the uh, I, I I don't expect uh, uh, good uh, things uh, over the next three years. But uh, investments are not done thinking over three years. Uh, investments uh, uh, depend on the long-term perspectives, ten years, twenty years, and over that uh, horizon, I I think that Mexico is still a very positive uh, country. Uh, we will have to change some things in the in the future, but uh, it's still a, a very large country in terms of inhabitants, in terms of GDP, in terms of uh, the capacity uh, of Mexicans to work. Remember, uh, Mexico is uh, with South Korea, the, the place where workers uh, work longest hours. So I think that the uh, future looks well, but the future after three years. After three years, wow. What you're saying is that the near future, the short term looks a little troublesome. Next year, Mexico might hold a revocatory referendum for the first time in history. After what we saw in the last elections and considering President Lopez Obrador does not have the same good ratings he had in 2018. What's your expectation? What could be at the stage next year? But I, I'm not sure if uh, that's going to happen or not. Uh, this uh, referendum has to be called by, uh, I think, uh, something like 3 million uh, signatures. I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, maybe the president wants that because he likes to be in a permanent uh, campaign. Uh, but the rest of the politicians in Mexico, I don't think that they want this uh, referendum to happen. Uh It, it just uh, increases turbulence and doesn't uh, do, give anything in return. Uh, so I, I would prefer that it, it didn't happen. Uh, anyway, it will be only in the political uh, sphere. Uh, the rest of uh, the Mexican reality will keep on uh, the same track that we have now. And that means uh, very slow uh, growth, maybe in, in the surroundings of one or two percent every year. This year is going to be obviously larger because of the rebound from the COVID debts. But uh, after that, one, two percent every year uh, growth, uh, maybe inflation in the surroundings of six percent. Uh, And that doesn't change because you have uh, this referendum or not. So I really would like uh, that not to happen. Well, that's good news, right? Even if the referendum happened or not, it will not have an impact in the economy in the long term. Yep, I think that uh, it's not going to have, to have any, any impact. Uh, it's just uh, uh, a politics game, no, no more than that. Finally, Macario, in July 7, ministers of finance of the three countries met to commemorate the first anniversary of the trade agreement, sending very positive messages about the future for North American region. Former U.S. ambassador in Mexico, Antonio Garza, has said that the USMCA or TEMEC or CUSMA, as it is known in Canada, is an agreement that can fuel the regional economic recovery. However, you said previously that it might not be that way for Mexican case. 
Then do you think investors and foreign companies in Mexico can continue rely on the protections of the agreement for legal certainty? Well, they have to. They don't have any other uh, instrument to rely on. Uh, I still think that uh, NAFTA was better, uh, but uh, we had to negotiate this UM, USMCA uh, because of Trump. Uh, it it, it uh, may have some uh, improvements over NAFTA, but I think in general, it, it's more cumbersome. Uh, it's not uh, so uh, free trade that, uh, as NAFTA was, but uh, that's what we have now. And uh, everyone has to rely on it because we, we don't have any other instrument now. Yes, I agree. And I think the companies are very confident about USMCA and also the Supreme Court. As you have stated before, it is a matter of patience and time. But I believe the scenery in Mexico looks more stable than one or two years ago. It is a matter of time to see how the Congress is going to manage the new majority and if the ruling party is capable or not of transforming its electoral alliance with the Green Party into a legislative alliance. But that would be a topic for a future episode on this podcast. Macario, it has been very enlightening to talk to you. Thank you for that. Do you have a final comment or something you want to add? Um, no, Solange, thanks very much for this opportunity. And uh, I hope that uh, this uh, relationship with, between Mexico and Canada uh, grows stronger uh, uh, in the future. Thank you very much for that, Macario. I'm very, very pleased to have you here. Thank you very much for listening to us on this episode of Mexico in Focus. You can get in touch with me on social media. My Twitter is Solange underscore. And you can find me at Solange Marquez on LinkedIn. Remember, if you like this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. I'm Solange Marquez, and I hope you can hear us on the next edition.